0: Um, I'm Jason Bernstein from AEG and we're here today with Craig Newman who's the head of performing arts for APA
1: it is a pleasure to be here big fan Jason big fan AG big fan Cole big fan Aiba
0: cool well let's jump into it you know sure. I think everyone's got your background so let's just hop in with your sure. questions um, for starters, what are the trends you're seeing right now with performing arts centers? Like, what's hot?
1: I remember when I first got into the world of performing arts, there was a real dedication to the fine arts. And there still is. And that's actually something that I've gotten more into with my personal roster, dance, it's theatrical, etc. But what I love about where PAC booking is going and presenting is going is the side that looks towards popular culture, popular music, um, just basically Trying to spread things around so that all tastes, age groups, uh, uh, folks who have different interests can all be appeased. You know, is that ballet? Is that Broadway? Sure. And you're going to get your opera and you're going to get, you know, your, your blockbuster, your, your Hamiltons of the world. But to be able to go to the same theater where you saw Phantom of the Opera and see Elvis Costello, sure. but maybe you're not seeing Elvis with his full big band. Now you're seeing something cut down. Something intimate, something that just sort of takes an Elvis Costello fan and transports them to a new world. And for me, when I'm signing artists or working with my current artists, one of the topics we discuss is: Is there a performing art show within your repertoire? Um, you know, for example, right now uh, I've been with the Plain White T's since 2006. Everybody knows their Cavalcade, you know, their, their string of hits and. One of the things we talked about recently was, is there a Plain YT's performing arts show? And if so, what is that? How are we making it more intimate? How are we introducing the history of the band and video? So uh, that's one thing. Uh, Another thing I love about what I'm seeing with performing arts centers is experiential. And almost like breaking the fourth wall right now there's a very popular tour out there called Double Dare which takes the game show and puts it uh, into theater same uh, a few years before that with the price is right we're seeing this opportunity where the audience is no longer just the audience they can actually be a part of the event and whether that's during the concert during the event or afterwards in a meet-and-greet VIP environment You are getting to interact. I represent a lot of family shows. Well, the kids want to meet the characters. Is the character coming down the aisle in the middle of the show and sitting on somebody's lap? Oh my gosh, you get such joy out of that. Are you going to a VIP event afterwards and getting to take a photograph with your favorite character? Um, and then lastly, for me, it's the idea of the jukebox musical, which really is taking theatrical, taking Broadway concept and, and having a musical theme to it. One of the shows we're out there with this fall uh, is We Will Rock You, the Queen musical. Well, that is the music of Queen, but it's set to this amazing story. So I love the idea that you don't just have to have Broadway sit down for weeks at a time. If you have the right theatrical show, you can tour it like a rock and roll show. and so have- it's... Which-
0: Moving night to night.
1: Moving night to night. The tour that we're doing in the fall is 11 weeks, and I would say 90% of that are single-nighters, and that's how we planned it. And all at performing arts centers. No, we're doing a, a, a various venues. We're performing arts centers. We're performing at uh, cut-down arenas, um, sort of traditional theaters, even some casinos. And, and that's an interesting point is that the world of PAC is now crossing into the world of the casinos where certain properties are calling the agents and saying, we want to do a week of Broadway. We want to do a speaker and lecture series. We want to have something that's a little bit different from the traditional music and concert. That we've had, and like, what are some of the highlights on that? Um, I want to go back to We Will Rock You for a moment. You know, we're playing three nights at Mystic Lake and two nights at Soaring Eagle, and we're we're performing at properties in Vegas and in Palm Springs and in the Midwest. And it was so cool for these casinos to say we want to do something different. I said, now you do understand it as dialogue. It's a little bit of a longer program. You're not going to get your folks out to the gaming tables as quickly. They said, no, this is diversity. It's, it's bringing something different to our patrons. So in the same way that performing arts centers are looking to spread the diversity to their patrons, the casinos are looking to do the same thing.
0: Very cool. And you touched on the VIP experiences. How have those been changing over the past few years? And is it good? Is it bad? And kind of, can you talk about that? I more? love
1: it. I when I sign a show, one of the first things I discuss with the producer or the manager is, will there be some sort of VIP experience? For every market in this country, for every population base, there's always gonna be someone who's gonna say, I will spend the extra money to get the signed poster. I will spend the extra money to have the intimate concert. I will spend the extra money to meet someone or to have my child be a part of something that you can't get just with the general show. So VIP experiences are becoming multifaceted. Uh, when we re, uh, put Shopkins Live out in, in 2018, you know the producers, very savvy producers, said, let's find a way not only to mingle the kids with the characters, let's throw a party. Let's have cookies and milk. Let's have music playing. Let's have coloring books at the table. My daughter, who's now seven, she was five at the time, Got up into that VIP experience, grabbed a coloring book, and one of the Shopkins characters leaned over her shoulder and said, hey, can I color with you? Wow. My daughter was on cloud nine. You know, that is such a wonderful way to intermingle all aspects of what we're doing with these with this entertainment.
0: And are they doing multi-tiered ones, or is it one option, or is it several options Se- typically?
1: Most of my VIP experiences are single-tiered. So you are paying an upcharge, and you are told, okay, this is a post-event, a post-concert event, you'll meet here, you'll get this bracelet, this swag bag, this photo. Um, I am privy that there are certain experiences where they want to offer you a little bit more. None of my shows are doing that, but I have heard that, especially with larger name arena level, classic rock and country, not only do you get a chance to perhaps meet them and have a meet and greet, but you hear a concert and maybe you get, I know there was one tour where they actually were cooking barbecue and you could pay for that experience of having barbecue with your favorite artist. I do think that that multi-tier is something to look at for all of us. Um, but for the performing arts centers, with the capacities we're dealing with, we're typically only offering up about 100 VIP tickets. Okay. That makes more sense to me to have a single tier. Cool.
0: Um, and with the family entertainment shows, like you said, you took your daughter when mm-hmm. she was five. Um, a lot of those are tied to different television properties or toys or whatever it might be. Can you talk about some of the impact on newer areas in the area of family entertainment and where things are coming from?
1: Yeah, I want to kind of look at it in two directions. One, something that has visual, let's call it TV, movie, comic book, right? That's the sort of you've seen a program and now it's become a touring entity. And then the second idea is something that's intellectual property. Um, Shopkins is a toy. We didn't have a television show out of the gate. Now we do on Netflix, but initially we didn't. We were a toy that became a show. Um, But then you look at, uh, for next year, we're doing Angry Birds Live in the spring. It's going to be the first tour ever of Angry Birds. Well, the Angry Birds movie, the first one, huge box office, 400 million worldwide, Sony Pictures. The new movie, coming out this fall, they're expecting even bigger things. And we're springboarding on that to launch the first ever Angry Birds Live tour. Mm -hmm. Very exciting. Sounds cool. Um... There's often a tension
0: on the pricing and trying to keep shows affordable for families against, you know, obviously everyone wants to turn a profit. um, With, I guess, there's a few exceptions in the PAC world where it's programming and there's a budget. Um, But how have the conversations about pricing evolved lately? terms of where we are, where we need to be, how VIP plays into that.
1: Absolutely. I like the word evolved. And the reason I say that, you have to learn from your experiences. If you have a show and you find that there has been price resistance, obviously the AGs of the world, you know, the agents of the world, hopefully fluidly, you can change things on the fly. But more importantly, can you change so that your next tour is cognizant of what happened on the previous tour? Sure. If I go out there with a family property and find that a family of four cannot afford a night out, the parking, the tickets, the food and beverage, the merch. If, if it feels too high, how do I adjust for that in the future? And let's be honest. I'm, you know, I'm a father. We go out. We're spending money. It's expensive to go out these days. And you have to choose what you want to do, what you want to see, where you want to be. All of that comes down to a handful of thoughts to me. One, location, venue. Uh, is it a great venue experience? Mm-hmm. Two, the ticket price. Can I afford to take a full family? So whenever I'm talking with my presenters, my promoters, I'll, I'll open up the dialogue, which is very important to do. How have these shows, similar shows been pricing? One. Two, how much should we stretch the scaling? We know there's always going to be folks who will spend $50, $60, $70. They just can we also know in every community there are folks that may get capped at $25. Do we have a $19.99 value ticket where you can buy 4 for 20 20 a pop? Um, I like to have that conversation before we even get into the offer stage. Okay. And I so, think that's important for us to do.
0: I mean, is it a little more almost like baseball where there's, you know, there's always going to be people who want the box seats. Others always. just want to get in the door and, you know, have the hot dog and a soda included with the tickets. Yes. And, and know that, what they're getting in and out for.
1: And that goes into the VIP aspect, too. There's always going to be someone who will pay that upcharge. There's always going to be someone who will pay that P1. I represent a show called Cirque Musica, and it is, um, it's it's Cirque, Cirque and acrobatics meets uh, live orchestra and uh, incredible music and a storyline there are always people that are going to pay more to be up close, because when you're closer in a Cirque environment, you're seeing the magic and the tricks up closely. Sure. So when we price Cirque Musica, we know we can have a higher P1 as long as we are cognizant of having an affordable P3 or P4. And I will say to these buyers, here's 10 different shows we did last year with scalings. We're very <laughs> comfortable with these pricings. How do they fit in your market? You know, yeah, of course there's going to be a difference in downtown Chicago ticket pricing than, you know, uh, a secondary market in the Midwest. Take a moment. Do your research. Speak with the presenters. Find out what's comfortable in their world and really play off of that. Uh, But, yes, to answer the general question, there's always going to be someone who will pay the high and there's always going to be someone who needs to afford the low.
0: And I think what you say about the different markets... I've never been impressed by anyone who can sell out Madison Square Garden, because right. I think it's the most populated city in North America. When you can sell out Fargo, then I'm impressed. Just based on sure. the demographics and you know, and what for the, the record,
1: are. Cirque Music it does sell out in Fargo. All right, and we'll continue to do so. I look forward to seeing you <laughs> in L.A.
0: Um, and in terms of you know these various buildings. What are some of the ways they've made an impression and, you know, can get your attention when they want the shows, whether it's the Fargo's or the
1: New York's or. Yeah, sure. Competition everywhere. Jason, we know that the the correct answer, the politically correct answer, the common answer is taking care of the artist. But I want to I want to go a little bit beyond that because, yes, it's a no brainer. To take care of the artist, to have great dressing room space, to have good food, to have a caring staff that starts with the greeter from the bus all the way to the usher, that's, that's paramount. You make it sound like we're dealing with human people. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think you would agree. Can you go even further than that? If an agent is flying in, or a manager, or a record label executive, you know is somebody at the venue taking the time to recognize that that person's coming? And that sure. that person actually has say in a future tour. Right? I have been to venues across this country and felt so well taken care of, well received. Um, They recognized that I was there to see and hear and experience and go back to my office and say to my associates, that theater is incredible. That staff is warm. The acoustics are amazing. The stage is perfect for your show. and without giving examples, like I said, the majority of the venues I'm visiting are offering right. that kind of warmth to the artist and to the personnel. And, of course, we've all been to those venues that have come up short. Um, I'm not afraid to talk to someone on that staff and say, here's maybe a couple of ways you could make things a little bit better. And I feel like they're open to that. Is there a portion of it
0: just when you're routing a tour that you're like, oh, these three or four cities stand out or these venues stand out sure. and kind of work them in or someone maybe
1: on the other end of the spectrum. It was a very average experience, and sure. they lose the jump balls. Yes, there are certainly venues that I will, I will use as anchors. I will say, I am so confident that I'm going to play this particular venue in this particular market that I'm going to call that promoter or that in-house buyer first and say, can we get dates on hold? And I build my routing off right. of that. Now, far be it from me to not have the open conversation with all the competition in the market. I'm not saying one and done. It's got to be there. And I'll even say to the presenter, let's hold dates. But you know, just so you know, I'm going to speak. Sure. I don't necessarily think that there is that that a venue is always the perfect venue for every show. Right? Sometimes. The family show fits better here. And the rock show fits a little bit better here. And the stage for this particular venue is perfect for the intimate Broadway show, but maybe not right for the larger mm-hmm. show. We have to take the time to understand our venues, to look at what their tech packs are, share those with our producers. For, for the tours I'm currently working on, anytime I'm pulling an offer, I'm pulling a tech pack. And I'm sending it to the manager, producer, and saying, are we 100% sure that we can fit on this stage? That's that's a huge issue because there's nothing
0: worse, I think, than when a show, you know, tours up and running and you
1: find out we can't host this event. Absolutely. And it doesn't work. So. And can you imagine seeing that show there and looking from the promoter, the agent's perspective and saying this show doesn't belong here at all? And, and, and knowing that you probably could have sold more tickets up the road.
0: Right. And some, I would assume, depending on family shows versus rock shows,
1: some things are better downtown,
0: some things are better in the suburbs. Oh, yes. All those kinds of...
1: Chicago is such a great example. Chicago has some of the best downtown venues and some of the best suburban venues. You can go sure. outside of Chicago to Aurora or Joliet or St. Charles or, you know, or DeKalb or Waukegan or any of these markets and play the right venue for your show. And sometimes you sit there and say, this show really belongs at the Chicago Theater. Or no, this show really belongs at the Paramount in Aurora. Sure. Again, that comes with experience and from learning from what you've done in okay. the
0: marketplace. Totally makes sense. Um, and along those lines, because like people may or may not understand why you went with you know, someone else's venue over theirs, and it's not necessarily about money. It might be any of those um, issues we're touching on. What are some of the things you wish more buyers understood when it
1: comes to your area, yeah. whether it's that or anything else? One thing is, especially with the shows that have to be built, it's a process. Sometimes you're asked... What is the show? What is the writer? What are the tech specs? What, what's the promo look like? Like I use, uh, you know, um, Angry Birds right now. I mean, we're, we're pretty far along with that show. But I started pitching Angry Birds last year, and people were saying, "Oh, what is the show?" And I said, "Well, I can tell you what the show is likely going to be, sure. but you have to give us time to create it." Um, with that said, we know enough to know how to put a preliminary rider together. We know it's going to be one or two trucks. We know that it's going to fit in 1,500 capacity theaters. But sometimes I wish that folks understood why we can't immediately give them everything for a new show. Um, Additionally, sometimes we are at the behest of uh, the parent company or the licensor of that brand. They may not be ready to give us all their trade secrets yet. Sure. Sometimes they have stuff that's under lock and key. and so, so that's one thing. I mean, look, for the most part, uh, sounding a little arrogant, I think a, an agent who knows what they're selling can sell and can get the buyers pretty well uh, versed in what they have out there. And I like to think I can do that. Um, but, you know, I always understand that there's going to be those moments where we can't divulge everything because we just don't have it all yet. If you say to me, Craig, you represent the monkeys, and what's the show going to be? I could sing you four songs sure. and tell you what the show's going to be. I mean, there's going to be little twists and turns. But but if, if I have a brand new product that I'm building, I still want you to know about it. I still want to hold dates with you. I just may not be ready to give you the whole enchilada. Well, Will you typically have that all resolved, though, prior to when tickets are going out on oh, yes. sale? Okay. Yes, because, again, you have to be able to... Um, Avoid surprises? Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. a perfect science, Jason, you know, but we're all, we've are all we all got our Mr. Wizard hats on, and we're all trying to figure out new and fun ways to bring entertainment to these people. I always say, you know, God, God willing, a long time from now when I'm gone and people say, you know, who was Craig Newman and, and what was his mission... My mission is I just want to make everyone happy.
0: That's such a simple goal, you know? Cool. Well, thank you so much. appreciate your time, and I think this is great, and I'm very happy.
1: Me as well. Thanks for having me.